Hey, I'm Sachin. And I'm Adam. We interview the best leaders from around the world and unpack their failures, successes, and ideas they're passionate about. We do this because we think the best learnings in life don't come from a textbook. Rather, they come from open and personal conversations. Thanks for joining in and enjoy the episode. Every once in a while, we get to chat with a true visionary. Someone that sees the world in such a unique way and can almost feel trends before they happen. Fred Trebesta is that kind of visionary. Stick around as we get into space, the metaverse, our limiting beliefs, the future society, and so much more. And now, if you didn't learn anything from this episode, shoot me a message and I'll happily buy you a coffee. And because I'm feeling generous, let's make that a large one. As always, we'd love it if you could subscribe and send the episode to a mate that might find it interesting. Now, back to the show. All right, we're live and welcome back to the show. Now, I have to be honest with you guys. I actually couldn't sleep that well last night because I was in massive anticipation for our guest today. I was so excited about this episode because I think it's going to go in some crazy places. And we actually spent our morning getting a tour of our guest house by the TikToker Fonzie. So if you guys haven't checked that out, we'll chuck it in the show notes. But our guest today is Fred Chabesta. He's the founder of Finder, author of Go Live, and the superhero who's trying to get us out of this pandemic by giving people free Bitcoin if they get the vax. Now, if you don't know who Fred is or what Finder is by now, you sure will after listening to this. Probably the most iconic Australian ad of all time. I've literally heard that hundreds of times. But as Sachin said, Fred is the founder of Finder, um, a technology company that started out as as a comparison company. um, And now it does a lot more. So Fred, thanks for coming on to the show. Well, thanks very much, guys. And um, I will confess, I was up till 2.30 in the morning strategizing and trying to figure out how to, how to build a business and make money in Axie Infinity. So I don't know if anyone knows what that is, but yeah. shout out if, to the listeners who do. <laughs> All right, well, we definitely need to get into that. But Fred, we love to kind of start off our episodes by humanizing our guests a little bit. Um, so we'd love to ask you, what's like a story or anecdote that shows who you are as a person? When I was uh, seven years old, I had an electric clock and my parents, um, they gave me this electric clock and it was a nice, beautiful little black electric clock. And in the eighties, electric clocks were a big deal. That was a big deal. Um, it was, and it had a radio. It was, I was, that was modern technology. Um, and you know, I love this clock. It was awesome. And so I was actually pulling apart a voice recorder because my father was an anesthesiologist. So he made lots of recordings and this, this thing, I was just pulling it apart, but I was so curious all the time, like pulling all the pieces out, figuring out what is this and how does this connect to that? And the microphone, I was so fascinated. I was just pulling this thing apart. And at one point I was like, oh, well, I might need a little piece of cable to connect this part to this part and see what happens. You know, what's going to happen if I connect those two things? Because that might make it into a different machinery. Anyway, so I went over to my electric clock with a pair of pliers and I just cut the electric cable while it was on. And it sparked up a bit and I was like, oh, and then I cut the other side and then I took that piece of cable and then I walked over and I kept on, you know, back to my thing and I kept on doing it. And I was like, oh, and then I stopped and I looked at my clock and it wasn't working anymore. And I was like... Hmm. And then I realized like the, the, the electricity that had sparked up, I was like, oh, that's a bit dangerous. 
And then I went into my parents' place, like bedroom in the morning afterwards and said, and I went in crying. I was like, oh, my electric clock's broken. And it's really sparky. I don't like it. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think I'm very curious. I cut cables. I take chances. I take risks. I do things that I don't think other people would, most, a lot of people won't, wouldn't do. Some people would, um, most don't. And, you know, I think that's, that's sort of, and always creating something, you know, I'm working on something and, and I think I'm, I'm industrious. Um, so yeah, hopefully that's instructive. Yeah, cool. That's definitely very instructive. And I've got a follow on question to that, which is quite similar. And I guess when doing our research of you, Fred, we obviously, we sort of realize you're not the typical entrepreneur and you're not the typical business CEO, um, not just from potentially the way you look, but also your ideas and your sort of creativity and curiosity. So I would love to understand a little bit deeper. What are those guiding principles or ideas that sort of drive your life? So you just mentioned one, which was risk-taking, but what are the other things that guide you forward through life? I think that a lot of what I do is about moving forward. It's about looking to the future and figuring out how to get there. I mainly live a lot more in the future than I do in the present, which can be challenging. Um, and I try and ground myself as best I can. I, I, I don't really look back that much. I was a terrible, I was terrible at history. I was like, why are we memorizing all these past events? That's already done. We're not going to create the future with that. Anyway, that's something which I'm working on personally. Um, I think that I look for patterns and programmed in human behaviors. And I watch those, I see those, I study those, I go, wow, look at all those people doing this. You know, like with TikTok, it's like, look at all these people out at the beach dancing at their phone, doing these weird dances. Like, what are they doing? And then suddenly, you know, I realize, oh, there's a human behavior here. And then I go and try it and experiment with it. Um, you know, I think it's looking for movements, looking for um, movements of people. And normally the movements of people are, you know, the edges of humanity. They're the people who are right at the bottom or people who are right at the top because the people that are right at the top don't want to go down. The people right at the bottom want to get up from where they are. And this has been happening all throughout, you know, generations of society. And so wherever there's movement, it tends to be adoption of something new. And I just love that exploration. You know, what are, one of the things I think that if I was talking about from a principle perspective that I tend to, you know, I've written obviously 10 amazing principles in this, in this book as well. And it's, you know, manufacture serendipity and be remarkable and, I, I think about those a lot. There's no doubt. Um, I think about operating myself as a human and as a person. Another thing I, I have this, um, I have a couple, two things I have a, and it's in the book as well, but I have this reminder um, that says memento mori. Um, and what memento mori is, is that great generals, Roman generals used to have, they used to hire a little kid who used to follow them along and, they would just whisper memento mori, memento mori all the time to them. And it meant one day you will die. So when they're, when they're, when they're prancing through, you know, the king of Rome because they've won against the Gauls 
They feel it even more because they realize one day they're going to die. And the decisions you make when you, you know, you, you, you think about your mortality and um, play from that, you know, place of what is your funeral speech going to be like and work backwards. I, I, I try and think, you know, every day, Hey, is this, does this contribute? Does this go towards, you know, what I have to, what I, what I envisage and what I manifest within myself. And I think, the best way that I know that is I have this kind of test where I wake up and enough times in a day, if I, if I think to myself and I go, this is not the thing I want to be doing. I just don't really enjoy it. Like I'm not really into it. I make a change. I just change something. I go, I don't really want to do that. That's not what I want to do. I'm not in my highest energy space. I'm not in flow. So I'm going to make a change. It's, it might cost me. That's fine. But my energy and my contribution, I find to be quite a, you know, quite an important thing. And so I manage that continuously. Um, most of the time, it's pretty good now. Like I'm, you know, creating stuff and manufacturing and, you know, it's amazing. But there have been times when I just, you know, I just, I, I'm not really into this. I'm just forcing myself all the time. And I was like, going to make a big change. That's, that's awesome. And I like, I really felt that kind of visionary prowess coming out of you when you said that, because it does seem like you see the world in a very different way. And I'd love to dive deeper that, into that in a sec. But what you said about death really, really resonated with me because I did this exercise for a year, I think in 2020, where every morning I get up and I think about my funeral and I think about the way in which I want to be remembered and the values I wanted to portray. And when you say that to people, they think you're weird, first of all. But as the Stoics will tell us, death is one of our biggest teachers. Now, Fred, we don't want to psychoanalyze you here, but uh, you have this quote in one of your interviews saying that when you were young, you felt that you were showing up every day as a fraud. And based on those kind of operating principles you said, we'd love to kind of understand what was in your childhood that made you this way? Is, is it something that innate or was there some experiences that kind of led to you having this very authentic perception of the world? Well, I think in the beginning, I didn't quite have as much confidence and self-confidence in myself and being myself and just doing things how I wanted to do them. And I judged myself for not being good enough and not being worthy of it as well. And so I, I went to a very, you know, in, 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 in the 90s and in the 80s, I went to a very conformist school. You know, the 70s had very you know, strong conformity was a, was a positive, you know, you came out of, um, or even back, you know, 60s and, and, and 70s in, in Australia, particularly, you know, you came out of school, you went to university, got a, a doctorate or an engineer or an actuary, you, just, you know, you pick and choose. And then you get a lot, you make a lot of money because you just follow the system. And when I did that, I was sitting there going, I don't know if the system works. Like, I don't, I, how do I know what I want to be of all those things? You know, I'm just going off, and, and I felt that was rather fraudulent because it wasn't true to my you know, authentic self. And that, that sort of was the beginning. And then I stopped doing that at university. I just stopped and started doing things I like to do. And you know, I really didn't enjoy university that much. I found it very challenging um, because I was doing things to try, yeah, I'm just not into. And I guess probably a theme <laughs> now that I think about it. Yeah, I just stop. I just don't do things I don't like to do. I just don't do them. I, you know, I... And, and I, this is probably a damaging confession, but, you know, I 
I don't clean clothes. I don't go to supermarkets and I don't wash dishes. I just don't. I'm like, I will, I'm just not, not up for it. I'm not keen. I, I think I can contribute more to this world than that. And it's not my highest choice and I will actively do whatever it takes. I'll pay someone. I'll, you know, I'll take my clothes. I used to take my clothes in a big, in a big sheet and I had very little money to the laundromat and just, you know, clean them every three to four weeks to save some money. But as well, I just didn't do that job. And at the same time, then I try to make as much money as possible and pay for it. And I would regularly wear my clothes out until, you know, re-wear. I'd come home from nights out and I would just put my shirt very calmly and neatly back into my cupboard and let it sort of air out a bit and then ready to go again, you know, because it's just not something I was interested in participating in. But what I did focus on is the things that I loved and I will, I will defend and do anything for them. I will just keep going nonstop. That's awesome. Fred, I feel like you're that kind of voice inside my head, which is like all the things I want to do, but the things that I don't actually end up doing. And I think for a lot of our audience that are deciding what they want to do in their lives and their careers, this is such an important little anecdote of just about being authentic to yourself. And like Adam and I, when we lived together in the Netherlands, we did our laundry once every three weeks and our apartment was a mess, but I don't think we were as well functioning as you. And I think it's a question that me and Sachin are grappling with now because we're planning on moving out again next year. And so we're wondering, should we sort of become a man, sort of grow up and start doing all these practical house things? Or should we just sort of almost put them to the side, just try and any way possible, get someone to pay to do it and then just focus on the things we love. And that, so I feel like this has been instructive. <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying, um, I, 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 so becoming a man and taking responsibility um, in the world doesn't mean and um, categorize what it is you do. And, and let's, I just wanna turn something around as well. Let's talk about the greatest CEOs of all time. There's actually billions of them. Um, they're moms who manage households. And dads as well. That's a that is one that they have they have this incredible business. They've got um, these these shareholders um, that are like pretty demanding all the time. They need um, and they've got these these people who work in the business as well. So they've got the laundry department. They've got the um, restaurant and food and beverage department. They've got finances, treasury. They oversee the treasury. Normally, they have like um, people they send out to go and you know um, make more money. They, you know, they make sure there's an HR department so everyone's happy and there's high morale. They've got to remember everyone's birthday. They would remember when it's Christmas. They put on events every year. They're expected to host parties. It's like nonstop. They network, they sell, they market, public relations. They deal with controversy. It's the most incredible business ever. Um, and they have um, also the, the, the founders, which are the um, grandparents, sort of sit back and enjoy it at the same time. Um, so, you know, I always think of the household as a business. So if you take that same approach, you take the laundry problem and be enterprising with it. So how can you turn that problem into, you know, good energy for you? It's something which you're, if you're choosing, you need to solve this, but say you can't actually clean the clothes yourself. How are you going to solve that creatively so that you have a beautiful system all the clothes are folded up, put in your drawer in the exact same spot they're supposed to be. And the output, the input of it is you take the clothes off, you put them in some sort of sack or bag in somewhere 
and that system is going to come out the other, other side. That's an enterprise. That's the problem. It's not. It's not. A, I don't think it's a problem of your personal identity and your manhood. None of that's relevant. Yeah. No. I. I like that. I think that was very reflective and sort of taking a step back and looking at the family different. And yeah, it, it's definitely not about sort of manhood. I think we just saw it um, as a framework of responsibility in some way. Oh, yeah. Responsibility. <laughs> it comes in all all different sorts as well that's not just one thing um there's a lot of tenants of responsibility and i I think something that we've sort of picked up very evidently from this podcast and from you is that you are an ideas person you're someone that's constantly coming up with ideas and we read somewhere online that founder wasn't your first idea but it was your 40th idea and that you failed all these other times before that So we do want to ask you about ideas, but we don't want to just ask a boring question. So we've got a little thought experiment for you. And that is, if we gave you $100 billion right now and you had to use it in the next 10 days, however you want, what would those projects be? The next 10 days? Yeah. I had a hundred bill and I had 10 days to spend it. I had to invest it. It can be public infrastructure. It can be your own personal things. It can be societally productive. Well, how much is SpaceX worth? I'd buy it and yeah, as fast as humanly. I don't know if that's even possible. It's listed or whatever. You buy a big chunk of it and start to control. I go to, I go to space as fast as possible. Why space for you? Space is the frontier, which we as humans don't, I believe, have not added all the knowledge to our, our um, minds. It's, 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 we, we as the human race don't understand space, I don't think. I still think we have so much to discover and learn about ourselves and about our planet that, you know, it, it will profoundly change us as more and more humans go into space and leap us forward in survivability, in um, universal um, management of our organic state. Let's put it that way. You know, we're not... We're not cyborgs yet. Um, we have this organicness to us, which is, you know, born at the primordial soup of amoeba. And that fragility for us is, is very challenging, but how do we overcome that? And how do we start to think, you know, not just earth, which, you know, we, we saw as potentially being flat and then we saw the sun and then we saw earth revolving around it. And as we started to look up, Think of that just, you know, in the last what, thousand years, we, we were strongly convicted that we were at the center of the universe. That was, and now changing that perspective in, in, in universal time, that's extremely low. But if we went and then added to our knowledge by going into space, by going to other planets and successfully realizing and creating new systems and new ideas that add to our, thinking that add to our ability to perceive our reality like imagine when we went to imagine when we start to live in mars and it's so harsh and then when we come back to um, earth we go wow why are we polluting this place it's so toxic you know like you know mars is so toxic it's so crazy to even try and survive and yet we're putting this stuff into the planet that's craziness you know i think just the perception of everyone when you, when you can feel and see and touch and experience another alternative. It's like when you, I don't know if you guys do this now, but I'm sure our listeners do, but when I hear in a, a, a combustion engine car these days, I'm like, wow, it's so loud. 
so loud, so explosive and loud. Like what is, and here, you know, I'm, I just assume everything's electric. You know, it's like, oh, well, that's nice. That's how it should be. Nice and silent, moving around silently, smoothly, in tune, somehow more aligned to the spirit of earth, which I think is it. The spirit of earth, I think is very balanced. I think earth, earth spirit is about balance. Everyone talks about balance, 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 balance. It just continuously comes up because I think it is balanced. It's a, it's, 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 it's got this, you know, lava molten core with a, somehow it creates this stable, nice environment where the temperature ranges between, let's call it 80 to 80 different degrees in Celsius. And yet somehow huge amounts of life can spawn that are actually really fragile to any of the space elements that surround us. You know, that's, that's, that to me is a planet built with the spirit of balance. And, and I think that's what I would do. I would, I, would, I would push humanity as far forward as possible into um, space and what is required there. Mm, I love, that, that's I love funny it. you say that, Fred, because literally just last night, Satch and I and then another friend actually bought private shares into SpaceX. Um, and we're awesome. very bullish on it um, and what Starlink is doing. Like, I think there's just huge opportunity not just for the sort of frontier of space, but also for what we're doing on earth with what Starlink is doing about being able to provide internet to anyone at any time. And at the moment it is expensive, but into the future, I think this could be a really big thing for a quality of opportunity where you've got people in really poor nations without critical infrastructure and being able to just get internet anywhere. And over time that will become a lot cheaper. So definitely agree with you on the SpaceX point. And I love that reference point idea. Because when we shift our reference point, our existing reality becomes very different. And I love that idea of going to space to say it. But Fred, I want to challenge you for a second on that idea. Why, in terms of something that Adam and I find with people who are futurists is that often there's this, you know, this desire to go forward, this desire to keep pushing humanity. And obviously that stuff can help with things like climate change. But why go to space when we have so many existing issues on Earth? Well... So I, I had this thesis that I think we, we as a human race need to acknowledge, and it's going to take a while, but I think fundamentally we are a virus. And um, the reason for that is that for some, un, I, I don't know how, but we, I think this is where we've crossed paths in some way, shape or form with it, is that we're the only species on earth that threatens it, to kill it. We, we, we threaten to kill the entire planet. Like that's everyone, every, every single other large monster and uh, beast and thing that is, is grace as planet does it with harmony and does it within balance. I'm not sure if we were actually, potentially we were from here, but potentially we've evolved to a place where we could be quite destructive in our own selves. Um, I think we do correct that and, you know, and I think we, we struggle because of our evolution, how you know, we've never thought to live in such large groups of individuals and that messes things up and all sorts of weird things start to happen. And so I think just, 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 just on the point of survival more than anything else, I totally agree there are many challenges here, but I think humans need to grow all the time. It's just un- unfortunately programmed in. We, we, we have this unde- undeniable desire for growth, which is just very much like a virus. And we spread and we consume and we move. We, we like, you know, any business which is not growing tends to be dying. 
any anything you're involved with, it doesn't. If it's not growing, it tends to go backwards with, with humans because we, we we feed on it. We 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 have an unsustainable, um, unsymbiotic relationship with many things, unfortunately. Um, and so, going to space is you know it's more space, it's more resources, it's more so that we can come to terms with our evolutionary um, challenge of 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 um, I would call it a continuous dissatisfaction with our state of humanity. That's we live like that. We live, you know, you get your favorite thing, whatever it is in your world, you know, I don't know if you experience it's your favorite thing, you get it, and immediately afterwards you feel unsatisfied. That's programmed in humanity for a reason because we were on the savannah and we we're running around and we weren't at the top of the food chain. We we're like number 10. We ate tenth after the lions and the hyenas and the you know, everyone else and the ants and everything. Then we came, humans used to come along and then they would feed on the carcass. And we crawled our way up to number one. And one of the things that I think helped us was this continuous feeling of dissatisfaction when we would eat and then immediately feel hungry and feel dissatisfied with whatever it is we were doing immediately after. And I think that's helped us become number one because even when we became number one, we put all the lions and the tigers um, in cages um, where we could control them, we still wanted more. And so we sent out ships to go to other lands and conquer them and um, spread and be um, fruitful. I think I can't remember the words that were in the Bible, but, but that's how we thought about the world. And so we always sort of went to conquer, you know, and that's, that's, that's come out naturally, right? That's a natural state of humanity, which is unfortunately or fortunately baked in which has helped us get to the top but now we you know we need some time for it to level out the evolution to level out and chill you know like it's just still in there and it's pretty pretty strong and so i just think it's a hedge basically to ensure survival <laughs> i think there's a million ideas that we could jump in there and just something quickly i want to ask you about that is that you seem very optimistic about the future of technology and what it's going to enable for us but is there any pessimism within you as well when we think about things like augmented reality, artificial intelligence, how those will change fundamentally humans and also change things like the amount of sort of income and wealth inequality we have? Or are you yeah, just sort of undeniably optimistic about the future? I think we're very, very close to going full metaverse in humanity. And COVID has sped that up by 10 years. Um, and that's why I was up last night at 2.30 in the morning because I think it's, the, it's actually the beginning days of Metaverse. You've got people playing games and earning money and they're, getting, they're, they're, they're like making more money than they would in the real world. Like just for a minute, have a think about that. That's, that's the moment when things change, where you're in this game and the closer and bigger these games get to reality, the more you won't really bother with other things in the real world. You'll just get a you know it's really ready, ready player one's coming real fast right now because everyone's at home and no one what you know we don't really want to look at our walls all day we want to go and do something else and also there are a lot of people with a lot of time in many many countries where they can't earn that much money and covid's even made that much 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 worse because we're not buying the same stuff that they were supporting those industries. We're not buying as much of that anymore. We've changed our habits. And 
so that jumping off point to the metaverse, I think it's going to change things. I'm very hopeful of that. I think it will change the uh, distribution of wealth and income in, in many societies and many people. When it comes to um, optimism, I'm extremely optimistic. I back, I back humans. We, we came from 10th place to number one. It's pretty good. I, I back that over, you know, it took us, let's call it 5,000 years in, in, in sort of universal time. That's pretty short. That's a good, that's a good run. And, you know, we're, we're really trying to stretch further than that. And there are other problems. There are, you know, other problems that are going on at the same time. And, but every, everything, the way I see that is, you know, every company has something wrong with it and also has something great about it. It's got lots of, normally the good things outweigh the bad things. And when the bad things outweigh the good things, that's when things sort of said tend to slide and then, you know, you, you change things. And when the good things outweigh the bad, that's great. And, they, you know, you keep making more good things, hopefully. Sometimes, you know, you know there, there are lots of, it, it happens, right? I think in terms of um, what a lot of this is going to bring is as AI gets closer and closer and, you know, more and more robots come, then this universal basic income will come about, right? There's going to be, if you go back in time, it's going to be like the Renaissance where all the painters and everyone, you know, flourished again, right? You know, all of that stuff of humanity. Another, we haven't had that for a long time. If you look at our society, right? If you were to measure the different categories of society, art and culture stock are at all-time lows. All-time lows. Like actors are struggling artists are struggling no one really cares like they're like they're like battling it out that's 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 just their stock's really low right now and they need a reinvention and the reinvention would be is when people stop focusing on and, and heralding people who make money and help like how you can make money and all those kind of things because it becomes a non-issue and starts to change so people have a lot more time and they're like well again unsatisfied and I'm, humans get bored really quick because of that as well and so they need entertainment and entertainment will flourish and actors would be in demand. And I, I, I forecast in the next 25 years, actors will be some of the richest people um, in our society. And that is because we are going to become more and more bored and we need to be more and more entertained because more of our stuff is automated. Um, and so it just shifts. It just shifts where humans focus, right? So if technology solves you know, people, there are a lot of people whose, you know, role, unfortunately, is to take a spreadsheet, copy one cell to another and check that it's correct. And that's, you know, they get paid a lot of a hundred grand a year for that. And, you know, and every now and then they need to sit spot the, the variation, but that's, that's, that doesn't really make sense to me, you know, and there are a lot of, a lot of, a lot of engineers needed right now, but that's just because they're peaking, their stock's really high. That'll come back, that'll correct. You know, there are a lot of, I reckon there are thousands and tens of thousands of engineers coming out of all sorts of countries because they get to pay, get paid the big bucks and get paid quickly. So that supply will come down. Um, I don't think technology is going to stop. I just think you're just going to get an oversupply and that, that's just how things move, right? But once, once, um, once you've watched everything on Netflix, you get bored. You know, once you've, once you've um, solved you know, all your household issues and all your money problems, you know, you, you've got your passive income making you money and your bots are working hard in cryptocurrency. And, you know, you're like, well, entertain me now. I want some entertainment. And that, that, that's where I think the shift will happen. I also think another part is environmentalism, I think, will become at a premium. So I think 
a lot of people's jobs will move to protecting um, nature because as it becomes harder and harder to sustain it naturally, I mean, I mean purely naturally, and and it it will it will shift to more and more jobs around that, and some really important jobs, right? Because let's say if you had and this, this is what I think one of Australia's most undervalued resources is untouched, untouched um, environment, like like pristine. No, no one, very, very like. Let's let's imagine on the world, zero people have walked through this five or ten kilometers. So what's really interesting about that is imagine you fast forward a thousand years and still no one has actually been there. Think about how valuable that place is that no one has ever seen what's in there. That's a stock which I'd buy, and right, we should an be. NFT of it. Yeah, an NFT of it. They maybe they've seen it through Google Maps, but no one's actually ever been there, seen it, and you could you imagine you could buy to be the first person to go and see that. You'd have that forever. You, and 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 that'll become rarer and rarer and rarer as as more and more technology and flight and all these kind of things commoditize. I think that's where, yeah, there's, there's, there's an asset that's being built, and it's. The longer, I think, what's really fascinating, Australia is such a big country, but we very, I reckon we probably see very, very, very little of it. And I think the longer we, we do that and preserve that and, and realize that, I think there's an asset that's building up. Fred, I love how your mind works. Like, it, it's just, I could, listen and, I could listen to you for hours and just listen to how you come up with ideas. And I think that point you made about UBI is really interesting because I think that's where we want to get to. Like, so far, technology has been increasing inequality. And that's kind of the problem, one of the big problems Adam and I see, especially in America. Um, but then we do see this, hopefully this UBI comes out and the creator economy really blossoms and people can do things that make them happy. And, you know, the existential angst we talked about before and that desire for progress can be solved by progress in creative fields and creative endeavors. And I think that's a hope of ours. Um, but just kind of double clicking on the creative process a little bit. We've talked a bit about how you come up with ideas. You talked about behavior watching and, you know, not really see viewing things from almost this fly on the wall thing about how humans are behaving. Would love to kind of understand any other kind of principles or tactical ways you have about identifying these things, any particular sources you read or frameworks you use to think about and analyze information. The first thing I do, and this is really hard to do, is I listen. Like actually listen. And I'm listening for the tiny little variations and bumps of people's lives. And anytime um, someone comes near or close to them, they get excited. I'm like, oh, you're excited about this. Like you get out of, you know, when I think about this, think about this week, right? Like Zoom back or even the last week. Do you remember? I don't know if you, if, if you listen, if you, if you listen, if you drink coffee, do you remember the last? five coffees you drank, maybe a few. Go back another week, do you remember the last five or four then? Probably not. None of them crossed the Overton window, well, not the Overton window, but the actual window that's required to pay any attention to. They were all within the standard deviation of normal. Now that's really nice and consistent. And we as humans, we go, oh, I wish everything was normal. And we, we, we enjoy that the heuristic our brains and have to do as much, expend as much energy. And so that survival is maintained and that's programmed in. But anytime your mind is feeling a mild amount of challenge, my, my suggestion for you is to 
lean as far forward into that and get really uncomfortable as quickly as possible. Ask someone about that particular thing which they experienced or did. And normally what I've noticed is when I reflect back any time that I've been quite ahead of the curve, it was when someone just offhand said something to me and said, oh, have you, you know, it's like, a, it's like when you start a conversation, it's like, hey, what's new? And I'll say something, I say, I'm looking at this and like, hey, have you seen this thing? I'm like, and then normally, you know, that work you need to do is like, oh, I'm focused over here and I've totally committed my entire, you know, capital and attention and focus and research into this. And now you wanting me to go over there as well. It's like, oh, stretch. And you're like, oh, I've got to go. And I'm, I'm like, a, you go back to being a beginner and you make mistakes. Like right now, I'm like nonstop making mistakes in NFTs and um, gaming right now. And it's hard, you know, and it doesn't get easier to keep learning new things, right? But those are the moments, if you double click on and get in very early into that and they understand it and explain it, because normally the person when they've anecdoted about it, they just heard a small thing. They didn't, they didn't go very deep. They heard of someone doing something. And the reason why they spoke about it is because it was outside the standard deviation. It was remarkable. It was it, 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 it earned the attention to remark about it. And that's when you need to focus. That's when you need to pay attention. I feel like this conversation has very neatly flowed to the topic of cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. I think quite a lot of things you just said there about people hanging out on the edges, people getting very excited about um, different sort of areas of the financial system that all lends itself to crypto. Um, and this is something Satch and I have been doing a lot of research about. I was up till 1am, not as late as you, Fred, just researching Solana and playing around and buying a couple tokens um, and playing around with some of the DeFi apps. And so I think we'd love to hear about what's getting you really excited in cryptocurrency right now. And we know you're a massive advocate for Bitcoin. And this is something that me and Sachin are slightly skeptical of as well, because we hold Bitcoin, but then we also hold other cryptos like Ethereum, Cardano, Solana. And I think with a lot of the other sort of altcoins, we see that there's awesome stuff being built around it is these communities. And there's just this whole layer and ecosystem of decentralized finance. And so I think we would love to hear from you why Bitcoin and then more broadly, why crypto for you? But, you know, when I, I've been, it's a very existential idea. And, you know, as a, as, as, as you get deeper and deeper into cryptocurrency, I think you go in these really weird phases of when you leave Bitcoin, then you come back to Bitcoin and you leave and you come back and you're like, you know, right now, what's really hard and really challenging is that um, you're in a bull market and so everything looks good. And so you kind of gloss past the downside of some things. Like you sort of just go, oh, you know, how is that going to work? Oh, well, it's, it's working. Who cares? Let's buy it. And I've been through, you know, the, the last winter and I saw what happens when the tide goes out, you figure out who's naked, you know. And I saw Bitcoin just this thing like lose attention, dip down to $3,800. And then I've seen it rise all the way back up to 64,000. And I, I was there when I hit 20 grand as well. I was like, wow, 
that's battle tested. That's resilient. That's that's something which you have to just, you know, maybe also to zoom out. It's not to say I don't own other coins as well, which you know is a natural state of experimentation. I'm in a constant phase of learning, and I'm in beta mode all the time. I've just made it out of alpha, um, and but I I saw things you know like EOS go from being the hype coin all the way down to not being a team. I saw, you know, we need an Ethereum killer and then Ethereum just carry on. Um, and I think Bitcoin is in that same vein, you know, like I think if you, you, you don't understand, a lot of people ask me their, their, their thoughts on cryptocurrency. That's like saying, hey, how does DNA exactly work? And why do you as a human have um, a liver cell and an ear cell and a skin cell and it all work together. How does that work? Can you just tell me which DNA specifically to go and invest behind? Which one's sort of working for you? And so I have to have some sort of generic, nice, easy, digestible answer that sort of to get as an advocate of this space, you know, I, I, and I try and like make it very simple and say, look, just buy Bitcoin, buy a small amount and we'll go from there. And naturally, anyone who buys Bitcoin, what tends to happen is you go down the rabbit hole. You cannot resist. You're watching this thing move around you've never seen before. This thing, and it doesn't go to zero. How is that possible? And it stays alive and it carries on. You can send it to your, each other. And you're like, wow, what's going on? And then you hear this Ethereum. And then you're like, hear about Cardano. And then you hear about Solana. Well, you didn't hear about Solana in the past, but then you would start to hear about DeFi and you're like, what's DeFi? Like, what isn't that word? Then you hear this word, you know, we used to call it ERC721, which is the NFT standard of, on um, Ethereum. And I remember we used to look at that contract um, as an interesting contract and as an idea. And it didn't really, it wasn't really a thing. And so, so you're naturally going to go through the journey, but at least if you buy some Bitcoin and my, my thesis is over time, it's, it's like, all roads eventually come back to it. It's that I believe one of the reasons why cryptocurrency is holding its value and continues to hold its value is because it has um, an underlying uh, hard money backing it, which is Bitcoin. And so, you know, and we all know this, as Bitcoin goes up or Bitcoin goes down, everything else does the same thing, pretty much. That's because fundamentally as actual all of this cryptocurrency space underlying all comes back to being paired back to Bitcoin, which is hard money and, you know, long-term value creating. Um, and that means that other cryptocurrencies start to have value and everything sort of attaches on goes from there. And so advocating for Bitcoin means basically you're advocating, I think still today for, for cryptocurrency. So it's, and a lot of people are going to hate me for that, you know, and it's probably the most controversial view ever. And, you know, there's all sorts of ideas around it, but that's just, I think, I think, I, you know, Finder deals a lot with retail, right? So we, I need a simple message and retail needs to be nicely packaged up like an iPhone. It can't be like, you know, a very complicated, um, you know, set of commands that you need to use. It's like the difference between DOS and Windows. That's, I don't know if anyone remembers DOS, but MS-DOS was just a blank black screen with a, with a tick with a, a cursor which flickered, right? Whereas I think you've got, if I want to understand 
cryptocurrency, at least start by reading the Bitcoin white paper and at least start by buying a little bit and experiencing it. I think that's where that's the way I sort of think of it. Yeah, Bitcoin is definitely the gateway drug into cryptocurrency. And me and Adam have both found that. Um, but I think it's time for the quick fire round, Adam. Yeah. So what we're gonna do now, Fred, which we could have talked for three hours, could listen to you all day. Um, we're gonna do a quick fire round where we ask you these questions um, and we're gonna get you to answer within just around 30 seconds. Are you ready for it? I'm, I was born ready. <laughs> That's what I love to hear. All right, first question, what's one of your favorite books and why? One of my favorite books, geez, that's tough. Oh, I, think one, I, think, I think one of the books which uh, profoundly affected me and it still does today is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, I think it's a must read. I don't understand the seventh habit that well. I think it was sort of the one that had to sort of mash together. I think it was, I think it was six. And then he, the author was like, we need a seven. I mean, the, the publisher was like, we need a seven. And I was like, all right, fine. Stephen bummed out a, a seventh one, right? Um, but, you know, begin with the end in mind. Go for win-win. Be proactive. Those are like, extraordinarily powerful ideas that yeah anyone who wants to sort of get up and do something worth having a read i could probably riff on several of the books but i'll stop there i can definitely attest to that book second question what's one of your favorite podcasts and why i like um there's there's a couple but i like um invest like the best um, by Patrick O'Shaughnessy. I think he does a great job. I also like Acquired, the two guys. I don't know the names, but they do these riffs and histories. Uh, and I also love Masters of Scale by Reed Hoffman. And all of those are sort of uh, gateways into many other different podcasts and different things. But, you know, then they, but, you know, I think choose one of those and you'll do well. You just named three of the best business podcasts. And just to anyone listening, if you want a business education, go listen to those podcasts every day and just write notes. And that will be literally more than a commerce degree, more than an MBA. They're, they are incredible things. Um, third question, who's an inspirational figure that you've never met? Oh, so many. I never met. Um... I've emailed Ben Horowitz, but I've never spoken. I've never actually met him in person. I've been to his office. I tried to meet him, but I've never. Why Ben? I think he was at a very interesting time. He was a great manager, a great leader, a great thinker. He's written great ideas. And I admire his mind, his persistence, his ability to pivot and move, to back, create conviction. You know, he, he he was a student of Andy Grove. Um, you know, and high output management as a book, I think affected me. And uh, I re- it was sad, but I realized that Andy was still alive. And then I realized he passed away recently. Well, not that recently, but... And then the other one is Bill Campbell. Bill Campbell is sort of... He was the guy behind, you know, Steve. He used to go for walks with Steve. And he used to go walks with, with Zox and, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? So... And he's kind of like that coach behind the scenes that no one... You know, he, he was sort of pulling all the people together. He's all about team. Always the team first. Is the team going to work? Is the team going to get there? It's we, 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 we. And that's a really hard lesson to learn for any entrepreneur. Um, it's about we, not about I. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that's probably not the answer you're expecting, but I hope that oh, is contributing those, in some way, shape or form. Those are great answers. And then the last quick fire question is, what's one of your favorite hobbies, but it has to be completely outside of work, outside of research, outside of reading? Oh, I, I do enjoy playing computer games, I confess. Um, so it, yesterday was Father's Day and I've actually, you know, I've been working with, not working with, but like, you know, I gave my, my two daughters, um, they're 12 and eight. My youngest son, who's seven months old, he can't play yet. So we're working on that. Um, anyway, so for Father's Day, I, you know, we, we suggested to play Minecraft. So we had a beautiful breakfast and a beautiful lunch during the day, stay at home styles. We played Minecraft during the day. That was kind of nice. And we, I don't know if, you know, for anyone who knows Minecraft, the game's actually very hard to finish. It's a hard game in survival mode. It's extraordinarily hard. And we had, we were going into the nether and the nether is just this like brutal, unlivable place. And my daughters came with me and we, we actually formed up into this beautiful team for the first time. We were actually killing things and getting the blaze rods. And there was this beautiful moment where one of my, one of my daughters, she, she, um, she had the role where she had to get the blaze rod, which we, we got and run it back to the safe, the safe chest. And we would, we had this formation like safe house, safe house, get back. And everyone would go back and stand in the exact same place in the exact same moment. And we're like, Okay, pass this here now. Execute, and we were like a little military unit, and it was just this moment where I, I was, I've been waiting probably for that for, I don't know what, it would have been. It's an ultimate dream where you get to play with your kids and have it's just as much fun, you know, when you play with your mates. And it was just like, this was one of those beautiful moments for me of family, of um, teamwork, of leadership, and trying to strive for something just you know, for the sake of striving for it, but also working together. It was, I, I think that was, and, and my daughter actually, she's super self-aware in the moment she goes, dad, because we were, we were on um, actually talking to each other virtually in the house over, over, um, uh, over Google Hangout. She said, dad, you're loving this right now. And I said, yes, I am. I really, really am. And you know, Portia is just super aware. So if she ever listens to this, she'll she'll know this. But she just called it out. She was able to go to the meta of the situation and talk up to it. And I was like, wow. It was just a, just a beautiful moment. That, wow. That's beautiful. Now I want to have kids and play Minecraft with them. Um, <laughs> but Fred, we'd love to finish off our podcast by asking our guests, um, if you could leave our audience of 18 to 25-year-olds, future leaders with one thing, what would it be? And I actually wanted to throw a little caveat around this. I, I think one thing in terms of living a good life. I, you know, we've talked about a, a whole series of different principles and ideas throughout this. So hopefully there's something in there as well. But, you know, and, and I think the one thing I will leave everyone with is this, is even when you think you know everything and you're winning, you probably only know about 2%. And to really own that, to go, what have I missed? If you're winning in, if you're a big fish in a small pond and you kind of know it and you don't leave the pond, go and leave the pond. 
and just never ever stop wanting more because what this will do is it'll give you missions it'll give you purpose it'll give you direction it'll give you velocity it'll give you acceleration it'll make you hit the wall it'll make you aspire and experience something bigger than you potentially could have ever imagined for yourself and you won't know what that's going to create but by wanting and doing that i think it's great because one of the biggest challenges i think right now for 18 to 25 year olds which is really challenging is that you look at, look outside and you see all these problems are solved it's so easy everything's already done and you could you know feel a little bit lost in that and my challenge to anyone listening is that in fact so many problems are not solved and all it takes is you continuously pushing yourself just a little bit further to find a little more and what will come from that? I think this is another thing that everyone sort of aspires to try and figure out is what is your purpose? So I have an answer for that. This will help. Is instead of trying to like manifest and work that out, just make one up. Just make it up. Make it something that stretches you, you know, outside your comfort zone because life begins there and just set it to be that. That's what I've done. I just... I said, well, I'm just going to build a business which makes money while I sleep, okay? Now I want to, you know, and I, I just continuously reset that. And when you have purpose, everything else matters a little bit less. You don't really worry as much. When you hit the big hits and the big downs and the really big problems, because overriding all of that, you're still headed towards that, that original intention that you clearly set to yourself, that, that contract, that bond you have between yourself and your yourself which is an interesting dynamic but and that that i think will will serve you what a good note to end on that was amazing thanks yeah thanks fred i think some a little kind of caveat i want to throw out at you just if you have a 30 second answer to this with this desire to constantly improve how do you balance that with also being happy in the moment and happy in yourself. Because I've definitely had this in the past with this desire to improve and progress can get toxic for me. Um, is, is there any way you balance that in your own life or is that just who you are as a person? So that, um, that is, those two things aren't actually connected. They're not actually, um, you actually do feel amazing in yourself in that moment. You just, unfortunately, um, judge yourself in the moment and you blur it so underlying it you do feel awesome mm. it's just that the actual judgment upon yourself which is actually about you feeling good enough and worthy for it is you you say i'm not worthy for this and you also don't think you're good enough um to keep going to stay in the place all those kind of things and those are self-limiting beliefs and they drown out actually how you feel about it in the moment and so to solve that so this is a 30 second answer really really big 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 ever seen that movie where the, where the, where the dad solves the, the, the daughter's psychological problems in like 15 minutes and just told, tells us straight exactly what's happening because normally, you know, psychologists sort of drag it out. This is a straight chat I'm going to give you is that those self-limiting beliefs, you can go and change. You can get rid of the, that judgment about yourself, not feeling good enough and not feeling worthy. And I and the, the, the ultimate, here's the, here's the kicker. Here's the Here's the, here's the extra little candy bar, the surprise and delight. I did that too. 
And for the longest time, no matter what I did, I didn't feel worthy or good enough. And now I've done the work to go and pay that debt down. And I feel, you know, I'm not stopping to go and get more. And I feel amazing when I wake up and I achieve something. That's awesome. Um, a lot to think about there. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That, um, that ending sort of monologue is a lot to pick up for our viewers about that. And I think just really quickly, where would you point people to learn about their self-limiting beliefs or to how to get over them? Wow. Um, I haven't found an artifact yet that does this. This is a really hard thing to do. There are some coaches. I, I work with a coach and it's a technique that you need to learn. Um, first step of all of it is to hear yourself and the language you use. Mm. And the first way to do that is what I imagine is think about a child learning to walk like a little child. And you know, when they stand up and they're like trying to climb, and they fall over and then they go again and they're like, they're trying to get up and then they like, they fall over. And what's the language you use? You're like, you're like, Oh, come on. It's okay. Come on. Let's go again. Oh, it's okay. You know, falling over happens. It's all right. Up you come. Let's go again. You know, and the, that language. And now I want you to contrast that with the language. What do you sound like when you do something wrong? Something doesn't work out to yourself. What words come out? You know, oh, you're so stupid. How could you possibly do that? Or, you know, like, like, or when you, like, I can't believe you didn't deserve that. Like, or, you know, I can't do that. I don't think, I don't think that what we did there is, is good, but it's not really good enough. It needs to be better. And, that whole dialogue is actually just, there's no one else actually involved. No one else said that. No one else in the room is thinking that. No one except you. It's actually you talking to yourself. And when you start to hear yourself, what I suggest is just write that down. Go, wow, I said that to myself. That's really interesting. That's fascinating. You know, I heard, I heard this. Hmm. The ultimate moments that happen is when you feel you react emotionally to a situation. You know, when you react and you're like, you're like, oh, you get really angry or you get like really annoyed or sad. Like it's just extreme emotion comes out. Write that down as well and, and unpack that. Like, oh, why did that happen? Why do I feel that way? And what am I judging about myself that's actually causing that? Because no one else can change your emotions or create emotions in you. You create your own. You're, you're the master. You're the, you're the actor, director, and producer of your entire show. No one else is actually involved. No one's hearing any of those feelings or, or manifesting them. You can't create feelings in people. You create your own feelings. And once you start from there and start to unpack those, then you can start to work into them and you can start to map the situation. I think that's probably the jumping off point. There's probably a lot more you can do, but I'm just super conscious and aware of you know, not giving a full picture and, and maybe just sort of giving the pieces and letting people to explore from there. Yeah, it's such a fundamental thing. Self-talk, it really regulates our thoughts. It regulates our action. It's like it's the sort of bottom, bottom layer of the nether. Like you're saying in Minecraft, it's what everything yeah. else is really built on top of. That's awesome that you bring that up. And um, yeah, thanks for answering those couple follow-on questions we had. This has been an amazing episode and I think Sachin and I and our listeners are just going to have so many big ideas to really think about 
some new habits to think about implementing into our life. So thank you a lot for that. Fred, what I'm going to do tonight is get, watch this again with a notepad and <laughs> go deep on some of the ideas you talked about. But yeah, thank you 100%. so much. This has been awesome. You're welcome. And hopefully, you know, hopefully there's there's some more um, that, that comes from this and I'm, you know, hopefully I can inspire people to create great things as well. 100%. Well, everyone, if you're out there, go check out Fred's book. We'll put a link of it um, in the episode notes. Um, thanks for listening, everyone.